Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bro Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by mover and shaker, a <laughs> man who, who shakes the tower, uh, Tracy Pearson. Uh, Tracy, I mean, kingmaker, is that what we call you? Uh, how are you? Yeah. Feel free. Yeah, go ahead. If you want to call me that. I mean, you, you just change policy. You change policy. You bring the thunder and then things happen. Things change. Uh, should we just end the broadcast right now? Or I think so. I think <laughs> I, I think we've said all that needs to truly be said. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. It it we were effective in in what we attempted to do. To let me do. let me so take everyone through good. it real quick. Real quick. Real quick. UCLA is in uh, on to day four of spring practice. That'll be uh, the day you're listening to this, Friday. This morning. <clears throat> oh, God. Uh, anyway, the day you're listening to this, Friday, um, <laughs> it will be it will be the day four of spring ball. And... Wait, first off, you're a big sci-fi guy. Why can't you get your mind around that? What's so hard no, no, no. It's about not... projecting it, it... ourselves as being the next day? It has why, not... why does that thing frustrate is, What frustrates me is trying to convince people that we are recording this at 4.30 in the morning when I'm up publishing this. It's wink, wink, wink. It's funny. They think it's funny. Let's just go with it. That's, but th- this is fun. This is great. We're two minutes in. We haven't talked about a substantive thing. People love it. Substantive. There you go. I got to write that one down. Substantive. Word. Substantive. Oh, my God. Okay, go. go. No, not go. substantive. No, no. Yes. All right, I, I, I want a poll on the message board. Can somebody run the poll? Substantive or substantive? <laughs> You keep talking, talk while I go to the, yeah, yeah. go. All right. Um, well, Tracy um, uh, came away from, I think it was day two of spring ball. Day one, you know, he was excited. He was out there. He was writing about evaluations. Did he get, get a bunch of access to practice? No, but, you know, it's day one. He was working it out. Day two arrives uh, even, you know, I think less, like the players were not even doing as much near them as possible. So it was impossible to see anything. So Tracy writes a little something on the board because, frankly, and I'm just going to be honest with you people out there, this goes back a really long time. It's not just even Chip Kelly. It started at the end of Mora, but the general secrecy thing with football coaches is fundamentally crazy. Uh, Chip Kelly has taken it to an entirely new level uh, where it's very limited access, basically for the walkthrough periods, and then you can't see anything. You can't get a good vantage point. It's, it's not great. So Tracy writes a little thing on the board, and uh, then uh, by day three, uh, the media has access again to actually watch some stuff. So kudos to Tracy. Kudos. And to uh, UCLA football for making a proactive decision. You know, you, you do have to, because it was Chip Kelly's decision, give him some credit, because I, I think maybe past Chip wouldn't have made that decision. Um, I think a lot of past coaches might not have made that. I mean, there were two versions of Jim Mora. The really great, friendly, flexible, and then there was the one that was just, how would you how would you describe it, Dave? Um, Paranoid? Yeah, just way over Extreme, the top. Extremely angry? Yeah. I mean, we saw him continue to berate a player when we were out in San Bernardino. <laughs> Well, no, he would. The, I, the thing was, and this was not like it was not like a dividing line. It wasn't like 2015. It all switched. It was throughout the whole thing. Like the yeah. first spring well, ball when he was there, 
Um, uh, I, I think he literally screamed Anthony Thompson off the field and off the team. Um, the Canadian DB who he did not return for fall. The fact that you remembered that guy's name was, is just it was, enough. I mean, it was profound the way he went after him in practice. And it was like, this is, you know, borderline, like not good, dude. Um, and let's just say uh, to the media at times he was, Borderline not, not good, dude. <laughs> yeah, and, but then at other times, really exceptional. Yeah. I mean, come on. He called us into the office and said, you know, I want to talk to you guys about some of your reports. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, look, I, I, what? obviously we're talking about a guy who had some stuff going on because it was very night and day at times. I genuinely liked Mora uh, when, liked he, Mora. when he was on Fun Guy to Deal With. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Mora... I would say just as a general thing, got more and more paranoid and secretive over time. Like at the beginning, yes. Yes, yes. we could write a lot about spring ball. We could write a good amount about fall camp. We could even write about things during the season as long as we weren't giving away certain things. It wasn't quite as open as it was in Durrell and Neuheisel where it was like, go in, request whoever you want, get access to them. It was great. Uh, but it was pretty good. Um, and then it got decreasingly so over time. Basically, once they went back to Spalding from the IM field, I think that's where it got much, much tighter and more secretive. Um, and they put up that one weird shade thing uh, to prevent people from seeing it from the hotel. They just did a variety of things to make it more and more secretive over time. The interview access got worse. Um, everything had to be a group interview after a while instead of individual interviews, which is what we used to have under New Heisel and Durrell. It was more and more restrictive. The Kelly thing takes it to another level where it's just, um, I think it's, what's the rule now, or it was uh, prior to uh, your email, was it like 15 minutes basically to to take B-roll and then you were off the field? Um, It matters if it's spring or fall, but for, for spring now, they are giving us selective periods of where we can take photos and B-roll film. And there's really nothing. You see the videos that we, I, I mean, now they're, I mean, I'm, I'm diminishing our own content, but you can see the videos we put up on Twitter. I mean, that's really the extent of, of what we can get. Where just even a couple of years ago, even under Chip Kelly, if you remember, there were, I had extensive videos of OLDL one-on-ones, which were fantastic. Um, You know, or wide receiver DB one-on-ones. We had all those. Um, So it's, it's, I wouldn't say slowly, it's just progressively gotten worse. Well, spring was even, I mean, it was semi-open to fans last year. um, Or at least before the pandemic hit. It's like this, and it's just not Chip Kelly. Every coach will use the oppor- any opportunity, and they use the pandemic to try to close down practices even more. Anything yeah. they can do. Because yeah. they, in their minds, any little bit of information out there uh, could hurt them. Yeah, and, I, and I, what I'm about to say, this isn't specific to Chip Kelly, so don't take it as me being negative towards Chip Kelly. But all these idiots think they're doing the Manhattan Project. None of them are. It's it's not that important, and it's not that secret, and it doesn't matter. Like, what we write about your spring practice will not matter one iota to anyone's game plan in August or September or October or November. It just right. fundamentally won't. If you want to get this paranoid two weeks before the start of the season, 
Still, I think it's self-defeating and stupid, but fine. Okay, fine. But spring ball. Spring ball, like, you're not really installing anything for a good portion of it. You're basically just getting out there and seeing if you guys can catch still for, like, a good bit of it. Like, just chill out, okay? It doesn't need to be like this. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's... You know, I've had other coaches like I wrote. There are other coaches when I've brought up and just casually if I've run into them or something and said, hey, do you guys, from your from your game planning in fall, do you ever take anything that's been reported from any spring practices? And they, I mean, consistently will say, what are you talking about? No. <laughs> I, I mean, they're not taking anything from from what they see in spring. And when it comes to chip, so all coaches are like this, but some coaches have a better sense of a relationship with the media and what what how powerful that can be, how it's meaningful, how you need to do things toward, you know, an aim of of uh, placating the media because it gets to your fans and fans and it's hype for your for your program and publicity. I, Chip Kelly, I don't think has that uh, little bit of a uh, gene in his body. He just, he doesn't compute that at all. So he's like other coaches, but then when other coaches might reconsider and go, oh, okay, yeah, that, that didn't cross his mind. Like, let's just take Herm Edwards. From what I heard, Herm, the very first practice, all the ASU, uh, media went out, couldn't see a thing, right? They all got, they all just on the sideline got together and Herm was, go, hey, coach, look, we couldn't see anything. Of course, Herm, who's very media savvy, goes, we'll have that fixed. He put a big bleacher right in the middle of the field between the two workout fields yeah. for, for the media. That's Herm Edwards. But to begin with, at the beginning, they were similar with their access and their visibility of practice. But that's how that works. Chip isn't like that. And then what has happened is that to, and, and I'm not just talking Chip Kelly, I'm talking every coach that I've had experience with, you need someone to keep them accountable and keep them in check. And that's a combination of various media members, people within the athletic department, all of it is, is a thing. Like with Jim Mora, there was pressure from within the program there was pressure from the media you know there's let's just put it this way back in the day when you know brian doan was at the daily news and complaining to ucla sports information literally and, and doing every it in that day. doing it in that awful new jersey accent too oh, like that, yeah, just that they, terrible they just line said, yes brian we'll do it just please leave us alone please stop talking to us um to let's just give more credit chris foster the la times was a very good complainer Yes, he, he seriously was. Top tier. I could, I could go through, and and that got things done. There also used to be. So what we're saying here, wait, uh, ben, wait, Bo- ben Bolch, I know you're listening. You're far too nice. Ben is a very, very nice guy, but it, I'm not even putting it on Ben. There used to be seven media members out there from every newspaper, and now there's, I mean, right now there's there's me. And there are a couple other guys from sites, from internet sites and the LA Times and the Daily News do not have anyone out there. As of yet, there's no one there. So, you know, the program would think 
you know, it's only it's only a couple of internet slappies. Why do we care? Compared to back in the day, if you had the LA Times, the Daily News, the Long Beach Press Telegram, the uh, the Enterprise. I mean, you had six newspapers out there and us. But that, and a couple- it's a circular problem because that in and of itself is the indictment. Your program is both not successful enough, but also has uh, diminished media access to such a great extent that it is not worth it. For it's those a combination. To absolutely, send their people. absolutely. They made the choice that it's it's not worth it. It's not worth the coverage. But it's also that print print media is <laughs> is scrambling a little on on you know prioritizing what they can cover and what they can't. But yeah, no. I, I mean, if you say I won ten games last year the print media would absolutely be out there with bells on. So absolutely. I'd love to see Ben Bolch with bells on, but it'd be cute. We'd love it. But yes, it was, uh, you know, it was a good, let's just say there are forces within UCLA now that are very reasonable. We'll just say that. And I'll just say Mart Martin Jarman is a very reasonable human being. Um, who, who does, you know, you can say this a lot, but he does get it. <laughs> yeah. He truly, truly gets it, um, which is so refreshing. Even when, if I've talked to him and he's told me something where he's kind of shut me down on something, I go, damn it, he's making reasonable sense. Yeah. So in the past, I used to just say, oh, my God. It, when you're talking to any kind of UCLA administrator, oh my God, these guys are just no birds. No, 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 no. But, you know, I, I find it, I, I find I have a little optimism because of I, I, what happened with practice, I think is a sign of, of overall optimism. Yeah. Even, albeit just a little small one. But yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Great. So now he just needs to work on the. Um the David Woods Memorial final four banners and we'll be good. Um, yes, that's, I'm sure <laughs> next on the agenda. <clears throat> um, so we should talk about the actual football team, like actually what's going on oh, now that you have some yeah. access, um, to what's going on. Uh, I'm, I, I've read, uh, every one of your reports, the two abbreviated ones, Mike's from yesterday. Uh, yes. and by yesterday, I do mean two days ago because we are recording this at four in the morning on Friday. Um, and uh, it sounds like everyone's yoked, you know? <laughs> you know, maybe maybe going forward, every spring practice, just the first one, the first line should just traditionally be everyone is yoked. That's stokage for the yokage. Um, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems, uh, I mean, your first thing, uh, deepest team in recent memory, um, or at least the initial impression from spring, Um and well, we have we have to put it a little bit in context. There are going to be a lot of very deep teams because of the super senior thing. ASU, uh, UCLA has six super seniors, and I think three starters, maybe. ASU has 12 super seniors. Their entire secondary are super seniors that are returning. Who are, who are not who are not slaps? I mean, these are guys who can who can play and might have NFL careers, and they came back. There are a lot of teams with with a, many super seniors. So across the board, I think it would be a theme among just not the Pac-12, but college football that every team seems um, pretty deep. 
even though taking that into consideration, uh, throwing out even the super seniors, um, there, there was, there was, it was different. Just like in watching, watching the quarterbacks, you know, when we used to go out to spring practice, we, there, the starter would throw and then it was a crapshoot if there was another good ball that could be thrown among all the other quarterbacks. Um, that's not the case now. <laughs> there, are, there are good passes being thrown other than from Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, there's a lot of that. There, you just look around and with, you know, and a lot of it is the transfer portal because you look at the linebackers and you say, okay, there are those guys. And then you see uh, Ali Kao and you say, damn, first you forget who it is. Who's that number 10? Oh, crap. So there's a lot of that too, where you look at someone and go, wow. And then there's a good amount of, of uh, early entrance freshmen too. So I want to just uh, qualify it a little just because everyone is benefiting from super seniors. But even given that, it, it, it seems like a really deep team and, and talented team. And I just don't – I mean, it's, it's out there right now, Dave. If they don't win eight games, it's absolutely a failure, eight or more, given the team – given the personnel they have. Okay. Uh, so Chip Kelly has to just double his uh, his high win total, right? Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, right. And youth, I know you're doubtful about that. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think your point is well taken, and I think um, I think they should, um, given the amount of returning bodies um, and the fact that they were better next last year, they should be better. I mean, I think they should be at least five hundred. Um, but when you look at the schedule, I mean, they do have seven home games. Um, Hawaii and Fresno State. I mean, Fresno State's taken a, a, a step back from the late Tedford era. And Hawaii, uh, you know, it's Hawaii. Um, even if they're good under Todd Graham, they shouldn't be good enough to beat UCLA at the Rose Bowl. Uh, and then LSU depends on how much they rebound. But they could very well. I mean, I would expect a surging uh, UCLA team that's improved off of last year to at least go two and one in that stretch, possibly three and zero. Oh. Um, but that's, I mean, think about what we've seen from Chip Kelly's teams in the, in the preseason, as we'll call the non-conference season in the last couple of years. Um, is that a guarantee that they're going to bring their best football for those three games? I just don't know. And well, so that's, I'll, that's where it, let, if they yeah. set the tone by going three and zero oh there, then yeah, you can start talking about eight wins but if they're two and one and it's like a, you know, limp past Hawaii, get beaten by LSU and then beat Fresno State by like 10, I don't know. I won't be swimming with confidence heading into the conference season. Okay, so let's just bite off that, that non-conference first. In the, in the years, uh, if we look at spring practice compared to those non I mean, when we watched spring practice the first three, we were, wow, okay, no, there's uh, – First, the first year it was like they literally don't have an offensive line. Um, there, uh, who's the quarterback? Uh, I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson. I, I mean, it was, and he was a. It was, a, it was just not good. It didn't look good. So non-conference bad. Second season spring practice not good. Non-conference bad. <laughs> uh, it's been consistent. 
I think there's a combination of two things. Spring practice, good. They, they, they act, there's a difference, Dave, too. You know when you watch them in seven-on-sevens and it just doesn't look like they're, they're on the same page? The quarterback knows where he's throwing the ball, little confused. There's a breakdown and he's virtually sacked. It, it is not that. From what I've been able to watch of the team periods, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson has a real confidence knowing what he's doing, which you would expect him to have. So I'm thinking that compare that combined with Hawaii, Fresno State, and LSU being vulnerable gives them a very good chance at a good non-conference result. Yeah, and I think that's going to... Uh... The three and zero, if they can get there in the non-conference, I think that's going to be determinative about whether this can be an eight-win team. Because um, conference plays, I mean, I think your point earlier about how much every team is returning, I think that's an essential one that people need to kind of constantly have in the back of their heads. UCLA is returning among the most production in college football. It's not even relative, like relative to everyone else, they still are returning a little bit more. But it's not like leaps and bounds different from some of these teams. Um, right. A lot of these teams are going to be returning production and considerable production. Um, I think this year it's going to be, I mean, in as much as it, you know, changes drastically from year to year, I think we're going to see a lot of well-played football this year because it's going to be a lot of experienced teams. Um, but that means that many of these teams won't be super fundamentally different from the teams that UCLA played last year. And last year, UCLA was much better. They still went three and four, um, and they played a lot of close games. Um, if they get on the luckier end of close games, yeah, eight wins, nine wins, possible. Um, but unless they take another leap up, that's the big thing, is they have to take another leap up. To get to the point where they're not just playing close games, where they are actually winning some of these games. Like instead of playing a close back and forth game with Stanford that hinges upon a two point conversion attempt in overtime, they're beating Stanford by two touchdowns. Like that's the kind of stuff yeah. that needs to happen. It can't be, you know, just constantly playing close game, close game, close game, close game, because that's fun and it makes for a compelling season. And it's an indicator that the team and program is better than it was. But it's not an indicator of taking the next step. They need to take another big leap this year. I think it's totally possible. You've got a returning quarterback who's got tons of starting experience now. You're returning basically everyone else. You're returning Britton Brown, who uh, at worst won B to Demetric Felton last year as a producer at running back. Um, there should be a lot going on with this offense. If they can figure out middle linebacker, maybe it's Cahoe Ka or Cahoe? Oh, let's go with Cahoe. Cahoe. Uh, if it's Cajo um, and he can actually fill that role and play it particularly well, the defense might take a big sturge up. I think that's going to be critical. And if they can do that, yeah. I mean, this team could – They. this is the first Trip Kelly team that outside of our kind of ignorant view of things before the first season where it was still uncertain what exactly the offense and defense would look like, um, this is the first one that felt like it's actually possible to win 10 games. Um, so we'll see. But this is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm raising expectations. The team that I've glanced at practice should win at least eight games. If they don't, it, it's a, to me, I'll just say it, it's a failure of coaching. Oh, yeah. The, ta no, the yeah. talent and depth that they have, that there's, there's no excuse. And I think everyone realizes that. He either wins and everything's good and momentum starts with recruiting and he got over his little, uh, you know, bad start to his program and 
with the transfer portal, it probably sustains him. Or he doesn't, he's fired, and now we're all happy about a new coach. Yeah, and I he guess... isn't that where it is? Basically. I was kind of baking in just the um, uh, semi-being outcoached in some of these games. Um, but if you're just yeah. taking it on the merits of like having experienced ability, especially at quarterback, I mean, when you've got an experienced dual-threat quarterback in college football who, I mean, he just had his junior leap uh, last year, uh, that generally portends really good things for you. Um, So that alone, but you add to that basically everyone returning on defense besides Osei Digazua, basically everyone returning on offense. Yeah. I mean, if there was ever going to be a good season, it's got to be this one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I mean, you can look at it this way too. I mean, there are six, let's just say challenging games, LSU, ASU, Washington, Oregon, Utah, and USC, the other six. And here's the thing. The other six, usually among those other six, there are some tougher games in there. This is the easiest of those other six that we've seen in, I mean, Arizona, right? Uh, uh, Colorado, is losing a lot of guys. But I will Cal. say this, Jed Fish is crushing the offseason. <laughs> crushing the offseason. He is. Good old Jed. Stanford is going to be probably the worst it's been in a very long time. So let's just say among those other six, of course, UCLA blows one game, which it always does. It's five and one in those in those games it should win. In the other six, it just splits. So now there are your eight wins. Um, and that's reasonable. Four of those tough games are at home, LSU, ASU, Oregon, and USC. So, eh, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry, SC's on the road. But I think that schedule looks really tough when you just glance at it, but there's some things kind of a little bit sneaky, easier than, than, you might, than you might think. And... And like I said, what it really comes down to, the team I see and the talent, that's at least eight wins. If not, everyone is on the same page, I think. Yeah. That what should happen. Yeah. Yep. But let's talk about the team a little. Just the actual, like, you know, people who the are The people on the football team. On the field. Um, yeah. What, to me, the position, like, offensive line, solid. Really solid. Let's just say solid. Wide receiver, okay to solid, decent, solid, right in there. The thing that looks like uh, that uh, a group, a unit that doesn't look like typically UCLA for the last several years is running back. Britton Brown and Zach Charbonnet. It literally, it looks like you have two NFL running backs in your in your backfield running. I mean, taking taking first and second team reps. Then on top of it, you throw in Casimir Allen, and I'm telling you, the couple of plays I've seen, Keegan Jones broke off some stuff too. So you've got some fast guys. And then Ethan Fernier, who looks like he's put on 10, at least 15 pounds of muscle. And I saw one play where he caught the ball at the sideline and just blew by every... Let's just say it. The running backs look... As a group, even though they lost Demetrius Felton, as a group, really on the, another level, like the type where you would 
in the Pac-12, you would say this could be the best running back group in the conference. Um, that's going to be the strength of the team. What is what is Chip Kelly's strength of his offense usually? Running, running the ball. The ball. Um, with with a good offensive line and this kind of and this that kind of set of running backs. That's that's kind of that's where that's where it all happens, right? That's where UCLA wins its games. And damn, <laughs> the running backs look good. They look as a group better than you could ever imagine. So that's what's re- the first takeaway. That's what was really impressive to me. The other one was that uh, in the off season we've been speculating that they would have to maybe move some guys around position wise to make up for probably some of the personnel issues at linebacker. And well, they kind of did. I mean, you know, at middle linebacker, you had Bo Calvert, Kane Madrano, and, and well, Jeremiah Trojan, who didn't play last year. They added Ali Kao. And just from, you know, <laughs> how he looks, it's impressive. Then at Will Linebacker, you got Caleb Johnson, who also looks considerably, considerably bigger, 10 pounds, easy. Uh, Jonathan Bonds isn't even practicing because he's out at, he's out at baseball. But they moved Damian Sellers and brought in Jordan Jenmark Keith, who also looks the part. So that's just a lot of guys that look the part right now. And I'm really looking forward to being able to see them in the team periods to see if they're just all airport guys or if they're real. But comparatively to what we saw last year in terms of depth at middle at the inside linebacker, this is a completely different depth chart. And they look impressive, Dave, just from, uh, you know, eyeballing. So, and I'm curious to see what Damian Sellers can do at, at inside linebacker. Yeah, that'll be interesting because I think my first reaction to him last year watching him was that um, based off what I had seen in high school, I was expecting a little bit more pass rush and he just didn't seem um, completely natural with it. Um, so maybe this switch will actually serve him pretty well. Uh, maybe it gets him a little bit more interior because actually this defense has actually done a lot of its damage um, from that will spot, um, either you know doing essentially blitzes up in the interior or occasionally splitting it outside. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does um, in there instead of on the edge. Um, yes, yes, but I, I mean, Jenmark Heath looks like a guy too. Uh, that's the thing. I, we looked at them before, and we're there's no one there. I mean, who do you have after Caleb Johnson? <laughs> and but now they they look like they have enough at least bodies that can play. Which for spring, it's usually the other way around. Remember, spring is when you're usually down personnel wise. Um, and once again, to point out that those are all that those are all transfers. Those are that are not made up by super seniors. So. That that was pretty positive. The on defense, the other guy that stood out for me again in my very limited ability, it was Quentin Lake. He he looks like an NFL player now. Um, like he had he had you know he he had been putting on good weight. He's now got the legs. He's got the thighs. He's he's like he looks like an old guy now, right? Um, and then 
some of the younger guys flashed a couple of a couple of moments. Uh, that one interception by Devin Kirkwood was was very impressive. Uh, Chase Griffin was rolling out under pressure, threw it to the sideline, and again couldn't see very well. But I just saw this big human <laughs> jump in there and just snag this thing. I went, damn, what linebacker was that? And it was Devin Kirkwood. So there's there's some bodies. Um, but I'd say the takeaway for me uh, is the improved depth at inside linebacker, which is exactly what, now that can translate to actual production, great. And Quentin Lake. So that was my takeaways initially from not being able to see much and I'm really looking forward to uh, going forward to being able to see more of practice. And Dave, will you be able to come out once? We'll see. We'll okay. see. Uh, the fact that they're not doing a single weekend practice is certainly uh, enjoyable. Um, yeah, I think that was purely so that fans would come. Out. Yeah, it's just, uh, but like that's the that's the thing is, and not to get onto the same topic from the beginning of the show, yeah. but. Yeah. Uh, just briefly, like it was so cool. The spring balls during the Mora era, cause you would have just like fans all over the place. Like, look, could you pay me to go watch a practice? Like, yeah, technically because Tracy does. Uh, <laughs> but like if I was a fan, I don't know that I would, but like a lot of people do. And it's a really cool opportunity to get, I mean, there's so many like kids who go out and like watch it and like, how many times have you read stories from like people who were around during like the Sanders era or whatever who say, yeah, I used to go and watch practice and uh, that was something I did as a kid. And to just like take away that entire opportunity, it's just, I don't know, it seems purposeless. It just seems like needlessly, um, I don't know, needlessly restrictive. It just seems, I don't know, dumb uh, and uh, potentially hurting the long-term um you know, fan base of the program. Uh, yeah. No, this is the thing for like no perceivable benefit, like having fans. I mean, it's not even like you have bleachers on Spalding anymore. There aren't any, but just having fans on the parking lot, like who cares? Well, I knew, I knew the media was screwed along those same lines when they built Wasserman and they were in the process of building. Remember back in the day when we were on Spalding, we had that little shack. For the media, where yeah. we kept our computers. It was literally right off of the field. We had our desks. We had our computers. We could write from there. Yes, they threw in a lot of storage crap around us. <laughs> we were basically in a, in a storage. And it was, uh, it was hot as hell. I mean, it, and it was, was hot as hell. Hot in there. But at least we, but they brought us an air conditioner. See, you didn't, they, they put an air conditioner in there, Dave, after you left. Yeah. They knew it. They said, and it, you know what it said? It was the David Wood uh, uh, air conditioner. Yeah, that's I mean, they, nice. they named you that for you, not the. Not the, the final four banners are going to be named after me. I'm going to be honored at the ceremony. And then, uh, <laughs> so then they're they're building Wasserman, and I remember asking Mora when they were building it. Another, so is there a media room? And they just, I don't know if they intended to not provide a media room in the facility. Or if they just have such little uh, thought about the media that it never occurred to them. <laughs> it's just like I, I know like there's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of stupid stuff about the media, but also like there's some people who just don't fundamentally understand it. This is all part of the same ecosystem. This is an entertainment business. It's not a uh, we're generals fighting a war thing. You actually do have to build interest in your program. Uh, most coaches do it by winning. Uh, UCLA has not done a lot of winning. A good way to build interest in your program when you're not winning is to do all this soft stuff really well. And they don't, they haven't been. Um, and so that's just, it's a, a closing statement on the football stuff. It's just, you're you're hurting a lot of stuff about the program that will be felt long after Chip Kelly is done here, however it ends here. Like, even if he's done in 10 years, the fact that, like, some six-year-olds and their dads can't go to the football practice or whatever, that hurts long-term uh, for UCLA football. Like, yeah. that's how you build neighborhood fans. Like, the ones who don't, necessarily go to the school who grow up just like living and dying because they went to football practice and they got an autograph from some you know player who ended up doing really well and then they're like wow i'm a ucla fan for life like that well here's it's one area where that won't be happening um, well here's the other thing sucks. too when you were a ucla student and i know that was a lot more recently for you but i distinctly remember being able to just walk and i watched i saw them practicing yeah, you could walk in and like you could so walk in and watch. When I when I was a student, they had restricted it at that point to just family and media, but you could still kind of get in, like you yeah. could. Um, but you could still like if you were walking around, nobody was running you off if you were like just walking around and you looked in. Um, that stuff that didn't start until very recently. It's just See, uh, now I get I get this. I get this. Game week, of course. During the season, of course, you're, you're, you're installing a game plan. Fall camp, first two weeks, they're not installing it. They're just, they're just going back over, over the uh, playbook. Then maybe, let's just say, open it up for two weeks. But then the last two weeks, and I'm being, I'm being kind of liberal here, because usually it was all of, all of fall camp was open. But let's just let's concede some. Two weeks open then two weeks closed but all of spring practice should be open we yeah. are four how what are we four months away four months i mean there's nothing happening in spring practice right now that's going to give any other team an advantage it's all just, it does is give some excitement to your diehard fans that's what it does is it gives you some excitement it gives an opportunity for people to take their kids out and go watch football practice treat it like a you know a fun thing to do on a Saturday, which they're not even having any weekend practices. It's just all of that stuff. Um, and for those who think it's this is just COVID-related, it's not. They've been doing this now, and progressively so, for years. Um, it's just another opportunity to uh, to restrict things further. Um, and, and here's our segue. Comparing that when you go across campus or actually you just look left from the Wasserman center <laughs> and there's the Mo, there's the Mo Austin center and there's a basketball program in there that just went to the final four with a coach who knows how to do this expertly. He's not overly um, uh, familiar or, or conceding to the media He's got the right exact. He, you know, he he's not Jed Fish right at this moment, but he's got the right. He's he's hit the right tone with the media, right? Yeah. And and you have that juxtaposed and contrasted 
right now with spring where he was doing where we were very limited in being able to see anything that's that's kind of a thing um that really shows how a, a coach can really get it and understand and understand it uh, how to use the media but it's just not the media how a coach can interact with the athletic department can interact with alumni former players and just really embrace it and not in a God, not in a way that seems excessive or that he's just kind of, you know, uh, just too much. It's right in the it's got the appropriate note to it. Right. So. Yeah, that uh, I would say that might have had something to do with it also. Um, but that's our segue to basketball. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, it wasn't tortured at all. It really uh, brought it home. Kind of. Okay. Uh, yeah, Mick Cronin, he's off doing his thing. Uh, it's recruiting time. Um, there's uh, some recruiting notes. Uh, Kajani Wright, uh, he uh, he dropped UCLA. Eh, right? Was it him dropping? Was it UCLA dropping? Who knows? No, no, no. He, uh, I know this. Uh, he dropped UCLA. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he did. He did. Um, I don't buy it. Well, okay. <laughs> Okay, Dave, I'm telling you, I, God, it's like I'm talking to someone on the forum. Yeah. I know this, Dave. <laughs> but you got to understand, I am in full uh, full Homer. I am in uh, full flight. No, but, no, no, but, 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 but it's a good thing because like I've said, and this is really going to hold up, uh, the weeding out process, that it, it works, it is naturally working. If there is a guy who decides he doesn't want to play for Cronin, you don't want him playing for Cronin. You you don't. He he is recognized that he's not going to survive that that program and Mick Cronin and the demands that Mick Cronin puts on a player. That was very much part of this. I'll just say that. I know that that was part of this. Yeah. Um Johnny Wright is a very nice kid. I've never actually met him. I've heard a lot of people who, from a lot of people who know him. Great, really, really nice kid. Probably better suited at Stanford than would be in Mick Cronin's UCLA program. Um, I don't think there are going to be too many guys who sneak through and commit to Cronin who don't wide-eyed understand what they're getting into. Um so it's a good thing that it was the natural weeding out process. And number two, like I've said, and I even said, so this is not Tower Grapes, before he eliminated UCLA, that is an, he's an overrated player. He is not the number eight ranked player prospect in the country. He's a big, he's a big guy. He's got a, he looks like an NBA body right now, but he, he lacks explosion off the, off the uh, court. Um, he thinks he's more of a wing. He likes to try to just hang out in the out on the perimeter and catch and shoot. Um, isn't a great rebounder because of that inability to get off the floor. Uh, I think he's a three or four year guy and whoever gets him is going to go through, uh, the controversy of him and his handlers who think he's a one and done NBA wing. And when 
he gets there to that program and he plays a little and they say, okay, Kajani, go over there with the post players. There's, there's going to be some problems because yeah. that's going to reverberate through all those handlers and, and everything. So yeah, I, I'm not, it's not a, I'm not, uh, particularly sad about this one. No. And so I was reading, um, Seth Davis, who's, um, your friend Seth Davis. Who's not good, um, but he had a, a, I would say a seven out of ten story about uh, UCLA uh, this week, um, and in it he had quotes from uh, David Singleton, um, and then reference to Jake Kaiman and their attitudes going into next season about how they're, you know, not leaving. They're fully committed. Even Singleton went up to Cronin after the season and was like, "Yeah, dude, I'm coming back." Um, that's the kind of thing you miss either way when you're recruiting guys who are rated five stars, because one way or another, they're either one and done, true one and done's, and they're not going to be a contributor to program stability for three or four years, or they're not true one and done's. And yeah, there's a narrow subset where they're not true one and done's and uh, they also have the right attitude. But if they're not true one and done's and they've been rated five stars for a long time and they've got the handlers and they got people blowing smoke up their butts there's going to be chemistry problems if they stay for longer than a year. Um, there's just, there's a hard, there's a very narrow road where you can have many five stars in a single recruiting class, many five stars on a single team and have it be like a, a, a very good chemistry and have the program be stable. It's just very hard. Um, but we have guys like Singleton, guys like Kaiman, who are program guys who have been contributors, um, Singleton more than Kaiman, but um, Kaiman won some games two years ago, literally with his ability to shoot three-pointers. Uh, but Singleton, when you have guys like that who are who are just committed to the process, committed to the program, and these are, you know, program guys, that that's what stabilizes you. That provides the backbone for your program. Um, and, yeah, would you want to get the most talented players you can at the certain levels sure but you need those program guys you need guys who are going to stay for three years four years um and you need those in greater abundance than you will ever need a one and done and that leads us into that ongoing conversation that uh i've written about we've talked about and then mr hicks wrote a little piece the lesson of jaime Emba Mute Hakes. <laughs> I'd love to see I'd love to see their love child. Gotta tell you. It'd be incredible. When you, damn. Um, and we we there's one thing of talking about having a good mix of those, but then Greg is is saying a coaching staff should specifically prioritize the multi-year guys. Um, and I agree with Greg. Um, in practice of having gone out to, you know, as you all might know, before, well, before I even did Bruin Report Online, but even at the beginning of Bruin Report Online, I was the West Coast basketball recruiting expert for first rivals and then the insiders. So I kind of, you know, cut my teeth really on basketball player uh, evaluation. Um, 
hung out with a lot of Pac-12 coaches, assistant coaches, some of my best friends for, you know, a very long time. Uh, some good head coaches, too, and, and new coaches from all over the country. Yeah, no one does what Greg's suggesting. They, uh, he brings up, it's the analogy, the Hondas and the Toyotas, and you can suddenly drive a Ferrari. That is a really apt analogy. Dave, if you add a Honda and a Toyota in front of you and someone said, here's a Ferrari for free, you're taking the Ferrari, right? I'd be a little nervous driving a Ferrari. <laughs> okay. What car would would make you happy, Dave? I don't know, like a good Camry? <laughs> Toyota makes you know reliable what, automobiles. You know what I'm saying? It's tough. And for coaches to do that, uh, I don't know. That's a tough, that's a, yeah. that's a tough bridge to cross. I, I don't most like he brought up the Jay Wright analogy and Jay Wright actually went through the experience and then had enough self-awareness to say, whoa, I screwed up. I got to go back. Well, I would say I get that. But just to have the foresight, if you didn't have the experience, just to think we have to do this. I don't know if anyone, any coaches can do that. I, I think, think they, yeah. The the coaches who did the best job of navigating it, who is now retired, is Roy Williams. Um, because I think that's the closest analog, too, because it's a true elite high major with the elite high major recruiting potential. Um, North Carolina was getting a little bit more into the one-and-dones the last few years. But prior to that, they were building most of their teams around guys who were staying a decent period of time. Uh, unlike Duke, which really embraced the one and done pretty early on, Kentucky really embraced the one and done. Um, Kansas is a tough analogy just because of all the cheating, um, but uh, they've also done it with a lot of program guys. Um, they've just, you know, done some cheating for them. Uh, but North Carolina, I think, is the closest one, and even they kind of fell off of it a little bit. But I think that's the closest one where I would point to it as strategic, like they were trying to do that trying to do something where they were building a program rather than just trying to assemble an all-star team every year. Um, I, I think for – it's a tough ask. I agree um, with you that it's a very tough ask to ask a coach to do that. But I think it's an absolute necessity um, for UCLA going forward. I don't think a model where you are sort of doing a half Kentucky, right, where you are um, getting a couple of one-and-dones every year – is sustainable um, because you've got, we've talked about it, how unique it is that the next two years include uh, two top players in California who have the right mindset to play for Cronin. Uh, but what about the years they don't? Um, because they were, I mean, I don't know if they've made full exceptions yet. And maybe the Kajani Wright is great news because he self-selected out. He's a five-star who said, no, that's not for me. And maybe there will be cycles where every five-star says that. And it's like, no, 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 that's not for me. And you just kind of end up with the guys and they just start at the top of the tier and say, here, we're going to be honest with you about who we are and what we do. Um, it's when you start making concessions to get the talent that it becomes an issue. Um, when you start making concessions to get your one and dones. Um, but even if like, so say you had Amari Bailey and Peyton Watson in the same class and say you added it to, I don't know, Mark Mitchell, say he's Mark got the right attitude and he comes in too. And you have yeah. all three of those guys. Well, you've got three really talented guys that first year, and then you don't have them the next year. Yep. It's not ideal to even do that. Even if they all have the right attitude, even if they all bring ton to the table, 
because you're not building a program. You're essentially saying we're going to have one year run and then it's rebuilding. And Kentucky has shown what John Calipari has been unable to do there is sustain success. He's had nice runs and then it's been a lot of disappointing seasons. It's I just get, hard yeah. to build that. I get everything that you're saying and it all makes sense. But in application, in practical use of um, it, it, that that's what we want. I wrote that piece a few weeks ago that this is what you want. You want a mix of, you know, multi-year guys, program guys, and then sprinkle in a few one-and-dones, you know, and, and five-star guys. That That is – that's the formula that will win at UCLA. Greg Hicks is saying you need to – you have to, in an ideal world, if you had a really self-aware coaching staff – that they would not only recognize that, which I think the UCLA coaching staff recognizes, but they would specifically are going to go out and not necessarily recruit the best players that they could get. Yeah. They, I mean, this, this, what Greg's saying, like, let's say a five star, you've got a couple of five stars committed, which UCLA currently does. You would almost be saying you're turning down Mark Mitchell. I, I, I would. I think that's what I'm. I, okay, I'm but in what full I'm saying is, while we're Hicks, we're saying this in a vacuum, coaches aren't going to do that. There's well, no way. And but that's the thing. I, I get that, and I get that that's um, what we would say. I'm saying that's a mistake, um, and it's just fundamentally a mistake. And they might continue to uh, try to you know just gather as many five stars as you can during the year because it's understandable. You want to just accumulate talent. But this is where um, the recruiting, I mean, to steal your football analogy from back in the day, where recruiting at UCLA is like calculus um, compared to other places, it's like that. Um, if you're trying to build a sustainable elite high major, not just burn bright and then burn out, that's how you have to do it. You can't, you cannot, in this era where guys leave after a single year or not even a single year, you know, it, you do have a little bit of what happens in college baseball going on where you might sign a guy and then he gets drafted and leaves. It's essentially that with the G League. Like you might sign a guy and then he decides to leave. Well, if you're adding four or five stars in a particular cycle, how many of them might go to the G League that you don't know yet? But you keep what you're doing is I agree with everything you're saying. Absolutely. 100%. No, no, no. It's, I, I, it's I the get right what you're thing. saying that this is yeah. not this is not what's going to happen. I'm saying yes. that is fundamentally going to be a mistake. If Yeah. If, well, if, let me but let me tell you where the realistic part happens. UCLA, no matter how hot we think we they are coming off a final four, they're not going to get five five stars. Well, not even five stars. They're not going to get five one and dones. They're not. They're just not. They're uh, Five stars don't do that. Uh, one and duns don't do that. They most one and duns when they go to the they want to be the one and the one one and done. <laughs> That's kind of Kentucky's the exception, Duke, but UCLA's not getting five one and duns. It's just not. More what this staff is going to have to do is they will, like all coaches, go after the best prospect they can go after. But when they don't get that guy a few of those guys, they need to do like what Greg and I have always suggested, where you're spending time going out, out and scouting the flawed guys who are flawed in the right way, who have the tools and the upside to be a really exceptional player for you. 
like Luke Bamute or this guy who Bro has now adopted as its son, uh, Alpha Chibambe. Um, you need to go out and prepare for losing out on those one and dones because these are the guys you're going to fill out your class with. That's the key. Going out and still scouting all of those guys, spending the time in the other gym, um, rather than just, and I've seen this, I've, I wouldn't say that this staff is going to do it because honestly, we've never been out with them. But I've seen other staffs that think they've reached the pinnacle and now all they got to do is go out and babysit the one and dones. Uh, and they don't put in work at these events to actually evaluate and scout anymore. That's going to be the key to UCLA's uh, recruiting under McCrone in that when it misses on all those one and dones, it, it gets the really good multi-year guy, the Lupa Mutes and the Jaime Hawkeses. Yeah, and that's, uh, and that's the critical piece is identifying those guys, knowing who you're going after, because that's not just recruiting off of a list, because Luke didn't, wasn't on any list. Luke was a three-star. Um, you, you've got to be able to identify and have the, like, I don't know, self-confidence as a UCLA coach to take a three-star. Um, being too conscious of some of the rankings can be a flaw there. Um, so, and, and by the way, just along the same lines, that story about Ben and I at the NBA, uh, the NBA, the Nike camp that first summer in Indianapolis, he didn't say he's not very good at this. He said something else, but I didn't think it would be good to, even years later, insult that recruiting expert. You have said this very story on this podcast, on this program three I know, times, and I know, you have I said just, the quote before. I know. I just I, I didn't want to repeat it. I think it's a cumulative thing. If you keep repeating it, then it really gets in everyone's memory, and I didn't want to repeat it again. So, love it. Love it. Yeah. Um, um, then let's talk about the guy we've adopted. Alpha. I'm not going alpha. He's alpha. He's alpha. He's a real alpha. Um, uh, UCLA is, is aware of him. I'm, I know uh, because there are people out there that are close to our friend Chim, Ch Chibambe that, uh, um, that they've been in contact with UCLA. So UCLA is very much aware of him. Uh, it will be very interesting to see what happens. And I'm not just talking to him, but when they go out this summer and – they're going to be chasing those five-star one-and-dones. And then when they happen to see a, a kid like this, um, and if they say, mm, he's just an athlete, or if they really you know, see his worth beyond just an athlete um, and, and see how he would fit. And timing-wise, if it would be like, uh, we're not doing that well in that one-and-done wing, so let's start looking at him. This is going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah, very much so. Because, because there are a lot of guys like that. I mean, I, honestly, I don't think there's anyone, I, like I wrote, I, I don't think I've seen anyone with that kind of athleticism in, on the West Coast. I'm trying to think. It's probably since Russell, Russell Westbrook. When I, I'm not saying he's Russell Westbrook, people. I'm just saying... So there you have it. Uh, uh, no, NBA no, Hall of Famer. Now. Uh, Alpha uh, Chimbabe. Um, but there are athletic guys who would fit in. Athletic, tough-minded, good kids, multi-year kids 
who will who average five straight seasons of triple doubles in the NBA. <laughs> who would fit into Mick Cronin's program very well. And like I listed, there were at least a good number of them on that story I did recently. So this is, it's, but this is all fun, Dave. This, this is, is all fun. Fun. We're talking oh about, God. I mean, just think about what we're talking about, guys. We're talking about all of the elite recruits that UCLA might just, you know what? It might be better if they just turn those guys away. Think <laughs> about that. Think about yeah. where we are. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're literally um, searching for things to talk about, like searching for things to like have a little bit of discussion about because we're in the golden era, Tracy. I'll tell you what's also interesting while we're doing this, and we've talked a long time, but here's another thing to watch, and I'm I'm, I'm writing a story that I'll probably publish tomorrow. Um, that story goes how how many scholarships you say might have. For you mean the one you'll publish today, later today, today on Friday? Sorry. No, on Saturday. Yeah, on Friday. It's also getting into how. Uh, the type of player that UCLA is going to target and every program, many programs have already started are, are going to be different because honestly, there are almost no true post players left as, as prospects. I, I mean, every guy who's six, nine plus thinks he's a wing. There are six, 10, six, 11 guys. I've called up and talked to the people who know them. And he said, I swear this happened within the last three weeks. He's a point guard. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? So the thing is, there are programs that have already like steered into the skid. Um, I think UCLA is pro- just out of a lack of true post prospects could very well start to lean toward taking a 6'10", 6'11", kid who's, who fancies himself a wing as long as there's someone who can match up defensively against an opposing post-like player. Um, because every other program is going this way too. So just be cognizant of that because that is, that is you might see some guys on their list that are 6'9", 6'10", and they're 190 pounds, and they aren't a post player, but that might be the, the only guys they're recruiting because there aren't post players to recruit. Well said. Uh, however, you got on me for substantive and substantive, and you just Cog- said you just cognizant. said cognizant. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back. Cognizant. Cognizant. Sorry. Cognizant. Cognizant. Okay, dude. I looked up substantive. It's substantive. It's substantive. I okay. Hold on. Hold on. Just hold. On. You hear me? Yeah, I got you. Mike, are you there? I was born here. Dave. Yeah. Damn, I can't get it. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, you can't no, hear that. Can't hear it. No, no sorry. sorry. It's substantive. Provably incorrect. <laughs> uh. you, you know, you have the little pronounced things on the, you know, the internet that says how to print. Yeah, it says mm-hmm. substantive. Yeah, yeah. Substantive. At least uh, I'm going back on mine. Substantive. Yeah, substantive. Oh, wow. Okay, I'll just. You know what? I'm. I'm just in such a good mood. I'm going to say, Dave, yeah, you can pronounce it that way. You substantiate something. Why wouldn't it be substantive? Ooh, stumped you. Stumped you. Oh, yeah. I'm stumped on that. No, I was just trying to, like, you know, give you a little bit of a victory. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no. I'll I'll walk off into the sunset now. As you should. But it's not Um, sunset because it's morning time. 
it's, the sun it's, has not yet risen. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's sunset. Sunset. But, yeah. Okay. I think we did our job this morning, this bright, beautiful Friday morning. Dark, very dark still. Uh, you know, it's 5.03 in the morning now. All right. Well, uh, now that that is over, I am David Woods, Bruin Report Online. He is Tracy Pearson, also from Bruin Report Online. We are from the uh, 247 site uh, for UCLA. And we'll talk to you again next time. Hey, everyone. Stay safe.